championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Hello and welcome to 4th and 5, your Longhorn Nation podcast. I'm your host, Will Bazer. I'm joined alongside by Darius Terrell, as always. You guys should listen to the Hornscast channel, which you guys can find on any podcasting platform out there. Today, we're going to be going over a little bit of recruiting as Texas lands a few new guys in linebacker Terrence Cooks and defensive tackle Byron Murphy. Then we're going to be going over Iowa State and really just give you all the skinny on Iowa State. We've been researching them up and down and even brought in a guest who knows a lot about them. Talk about their offense, their defense, and how to attack both sides of the ball. Darius, how you been, man? It has been a while, I think almost a month since you last came on the podcast. Hey, what's going on? Um, you know, been busy, a lot going on. We're in the heat of football season. But Prairie DeSoto, for those that don't know, we've had some, you know, some big games that have happened and that are coming up with Cedar Hill, Duncanville, et cetera, et cetera. But we're still dealing with, you know, our own season with the freshman team. I'm dealing with coronaviruses like everybody else, stuff going on, people dropping like flies. It's just a survival of the fittest, right? But uh, I'm glad to be here, and let's talk some Texas football today. For sure, for sure. And let's start off with that DeSoto defense, right? With Byron Murphy committing to Texas. Mm -hmm. Darius, obviously, you know him better than probably anybody else in this market, what are your thoughts on Byron Murphy committing to Texas? What does he bring to Texas? And will he bring Shamar Turner to Texas? Uh, I, I love to get, I love to get, I had been speaking with someone previously. Um, we were just talking about how Baylor's done a great job, you know, doing evaluations in their class. And one of the guys that we felt like they got that um, could have played pretty much anywhere in the Big 12 and had offers from SEC country, Big 10 country, uh, was Byron Murphy. For those that aren't familiar with Murphy, Murphy is a guy that he has gotten better every single year. Um, he was the first team All-State selection last year at the 6A level. Shamar Turner was not, for comparison's sakes, just for those um, that may be thinking, hey, he's a guy that only got offered because they're trying to get Shamar. No, not at all. Murphy's going to be a multi-year starter at Baylor, and I think Murphy's going to end up being a multi-year starter at Texas. He's a guy that has the ability to play in whatever scheme, whether Texas ends up having to change defensive coordinators during this time there. He can play. He's scheme versatile. He can play in a three- or four-man front. I think he's a natural three technique. Um, he's a guy that uses his athleticism to, that can uh, penetrate gaps. He's capable of, if we need him to occupy blockers, he is capable of doing that. He's strong enough to do that. Um, Murph's a guy that if you put together the three lifts, the um, the bench press, uh, the back squat, and the, uh, the power clean, Murph's a guy that's over. He's over 1,300 pounds uh, in our weight room. He's, uh, he's an explosive kid. He's a legitimate six-foot-one, okay, I've been with him all summer. He's 300 pounds on the dot, and that's it at about 15% body fat. He's a freak of nature. Y'all, Texas fans have no clue how good this kid is, and I'm telling you, you're going to end up loving him during this time at Texas. He is a 100% four-star player off his own merit. And Georgia, Cal, um, LSU, all those folks that were recruiting him um, before he decided on Baylor early would, would tell you the same thing. They relate to the party, and he tried to reward Baylor for getting on him early. Usually when it comes to those diamonds in the rough – are guys, you know, I would be a little bit more hesitant about, but the fact that it's Oscar Giles' unit and Mark Hagan, I mean, if you see what Indiana did to Ohio State and their defensive line, you know mm -hmm. he knows how to put together defensive lines. So those two being able to evaluate and recruit and develop, I have full confidence that Byron Murphy is actually going to be legit and good. And it's the reason why one of the strong points of this Texas 
recruiting in 2021 and 2022 is defensive line and pretty much not much else. Be And I guess linebacker as well because this front seven is, has two, three really good coaches. Really mm-hmm. good coaches. And again, Murph is a kid that was a running back and linebacker all the way up till they got to high school and outgrew the position. Okay, he's a super athlete. He's actually, I think he's going to end up being He's starting to turn the light on now. The guy on Texas campus right now, Moro Ojomo. But I think a guy that you want to keep in mind for Murphy, Ojomo, he's a similar type of body type. I think he's the similar type of player, but Murph still got 30 pounds on him already coming in. Um, He comes in, in my opinion, ready to play. I think you'll see him out there as a true freshman next year. Again, Texas fans should be really, really excited about this get And um, in my opinion, although him and Shamar are boys, okay, he's not going to harp on it too much. Shamar's still going to make his own decision. But it certainly doesn't hurt, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I don't think it's anything that's going to, you know, flip the scales or tip the scales in Texas's favor or anything like that. Um, right. So I'm sorry for to, you know, beat a Debbie Downer there. <laughs> right but, on the parade. Right. But on his own, just Murphy as a, as a talent, especially this late in the process, y'all, this is a – y'all going to be excited about this one. I'm excited to see Murphy and what he does um, during his time in Texas. Maybe he can break the DeSoto curse. Maybe he'll stay Maybe. all four years. Maybe everything will go great. Maybe. I know we're rooting for him. We're all going to be rooting for him. And then Texas got another commit in Terrence Cooks at another position that's doing pretty well under this new Texas defensive staff. Terrence Cooks, Darius, at a Shadow Creek. He's been doing pretty well over the past, what, two, three years, helping them go to a state championship and almost win. Did they win it? They um, won it last year. They won I last they came, year. Did they, okay, because they came in – they came in second the year before that, didn't they? Yes. Right. Getting my ears mixed up here. But Terrence Cooks is a freak athlete. He is exactly what Texas needs at a position of need in this defense. Darius, what are your thoughts on Terrence Cooks? I mean, we're going to have to backtrack a little bit. But so Cooks actually was a guy. He didn't get to Shadow Creek until his junior year. Um, he was at a private school his freshman year. He was at fall year high school his sophomore year before ending up in Shadow Creek. And I thought I thought that alone, um, being a kid that's bounced around so much, you know, we've, we've been hearing about Cooks for over a year now. He's been on the radar for over a year now. For him to have bounced around and still been on the radar of colleges and different programs, I thought should be a testament to what type of talent that he is. Terrence Cooks, in my opinion, he's not going to be a guy that plays in the middle um, for Texas. He's going to be an outside guy. Um, he's about six foot one, six foot two, probably in the two hundred pound range right now. He's got all of the quick twitch and athleticism that you want um, in a modern day linebacker. Now he could probably be a safety if he wanted to. Cooks is a guy that you can walk up on the edge, in line of scrimmage as well. He can get after the quarterback. He's twitchy. He's a guy that has a chance to make an instant impact on special teams. But I think he's going to be a guy that obviously he's going to add more weight and get stronger as he goes. But Terrence Cooks. And Maurice Blackwell and those two guys right now, I think Blackwell's going to end up being your Mike kind of guy. Terrence Cooks is going to be your Will kind of guy. But as far as a prototype for today's football, today's college football, once you're looking for guys that can be on the field for all four, all three downs, um, Terrence Cooks is what you're looking for. And, and again, he's a guy that thought Texas would have him locked up early on in the process. And he took his time. Uh, he flirted with LSU. Um, he listened to Baylor's pitch, and he decided that Texas was ultimately the best spot for him. Terrence Cooks is a guy that could end up being a multi-year starter as well um, later on in his career. Texas has a pretty good linebacker class in this class, especially when it comes to the linebackers out of Texas, which, you know, once in a blue moon, you get a five-star out there. But this year, I mean, they pull in two of the best. I was going to save my comment that I was going to have there for, you know, the five stars in Texas. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we can go right into it, man. The I five stars in Texas once are, in the are blue leaving. You get one, and they go to Ohio State. But, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the thing is watching Ohio State, especially against Indiana. You just saw Garrett Wilson, Josh Proctor. Then you saw Baron Browning. You know, J.K. Dobbins the year before. Then you have Quinn Ewers commit there, and then Caleb Burton commit there. It just seems like Ohio State right now is taking advantage of the instability rumors and I guess just instability at Texas and the fact that Texas has had a poor decade. Well, so you can say we were just watching Ohio State this weekend, right? Why does Ohio State not catch any flack for struggling with Indiana on national television? Why does Ohio State, why is there no negativity surrounding their programs, surrounding their recruiting, you know, when they lose to Purdue, you know, a year ago, stuff like that. Why? What's the difference? Can you help me out with that? What do you think that may be? Consistency. If they were losing to Purdue every single year, there would be some questions. But I don't, I don't even remember hearing. I don't even remember hearing any negativity when it happened. It's just, oh well. And then the first thing I hear back on ESPN the next day, Kirk Herbstreit, oh Ohio State's you know, the first number one team on the outside of the college football playoff. Yeah, they had a hiccup. Like why? It's not. It's not the same because it's seen as a hiccup instead of. You know, yeah, a consistent problem. If it was a consistent problem for Ohio State, then potentially they'd start to it'd be more of a pattern and less of they a, do. Ohio State drops one in that weak conference every year and they get a pass for it. But no, what I'm getting at, I guess, is I just ah, it's just so much negativity constantly mm-hmm. surrounding the Texas program. And it comes from Texas quote unquote fans. It comes from the Texas media. It comes from the national media. It doesn't stop, and at what I mean, God, dog, man, Texas doesn't do itself any favors with anything either. But you see what I'm saying, though? Like Georgia has sucked this year. I don't hear anything negative about them. They're still getting whoever they want. Like, yeah, I mean, they have wasted more five star talent than Texas did in the entire <laughs> 2010 decade in one team, and they won what? Nothing. But it's yeah. all reserved for freaking Texas. But anyways, yeah, back on five stars, Ohio State. You said Caleb Burton just uh, he just made things official. Yep. Um, I'm of the opinion I had no expectations for Caleb Burton to end up at Texas. He's a five star Austin area skill position player. When was the last time Texas got one of those? <laughs> so yeah, congratulations to Mr. Burton. I'm of the opinion that part of Quinn Ewers, you know, who we all know is not committed to Ohio State as well. I think Caleb Burton told Quinn Ewers he didn't want to go to Texas. Why are you choosing that place? And then <laughs> with all the negativity that already automatically surrounds the program, I mean, he's like, you know what? You're right. <laughs> Ohio State just struggled with Indiana with all the talent that they have. No problem. I'm committed. And I know mm-hmm. he, hadn't, he hadn't been able to take a visit in how long. But, you know, it's just, you know, different people are held to different standards. Perception is a real thing. It is the reality for most people. And this has been a long road to where we are today. And people still don't understand it's going to be a long road to coming out of there. And, and, and part of that is the part that they play in it, too. But They have a perception issue. Yeah. yeah. Yep. From everywhere. From their well, own. Even from their own. It doesn't stop. One way they could change that perception issue is with wins. Wins cure everything. And it really starts this week, this weekend. Oh, go ahead. Do wins cure everything? Because all I've been hearing every week is every time Texas wins, oh, well, wait till next week. They're going to lose. Winning ain't curing, excuse my language, ain't curing shit. It's still still negativity, negativity, negativity. 
Apparently, if Texas wins out, goes to the Big 12 championship and wins again still, that's not people still going to be upset about something. There's still going to be negativity surrounding the program. So is is winning really the answer? Because it doesn't seem like that to me. <laughs> it's the saying. It's a saying. Winning cures all. We'll see. If Texas wins out and goes to the Big 12 championship and wins, then I think perception is going to have to change a little bit. But there are legit questions about this staff. People have a right to air grievances. You were doing it early this year. I was doing it early this year. Everybody's doing it, but you're right. Perception is reality. So right, but even when they win, as they've won, will like I'm, I remember like being a player. Like difference between being at Texas and North Texas. Like when you won at Texas, I'm like, damn, we can't even celebrate it. You can't even be happy. You didn't beat them by enough. It's a beat down. UNT, we beat anybody. We're about to have a party of the century. You get tired of that, man. Mm-hmm. When does the negativity stop? But okay, mm-hmm. let me, I get off my soapbox. Go ahead. No, I get that. I get that. But let's go ahead and look at the next game, which is one of the biggest games for Texas in quite a while, probably since 2018 when they played Iowa State at home mm-hmm. on Thanksgiving for a shot to get into the Big 12 championship. Texas loses two conference games in a row and is able to fight their way back into a basically what is a play-in game, a semifinal game for the Big 12 championship to probably play Oklahoma. So let's go ahead and take a look at this Iowa State team because, boy, this Iowa State team is not the Iowa State team you faced in 2018. They are a lot more efficient and a lot more consistent and just a lot better. This Iowa State team, man, let's go ahead and start looking at this backdrop of this game. Iowa State is coming off probably their six best quarters of football this year after coming back, scoring 28 unanswered points against Baylor and then 45 unanswered points against Kansas State, just absolutely destroying Kansas State. Texas is coming off basically a three-week bye week, 20 days off. Uh, Iowa State has a short week traveling down to Austin. And again, this game is setting up for not just the Big 12, but Tom Herman, probably one of the biggest games in his career uh, because he's left himself no leash at this point. And Iowa State is playing to go to the Big 12 championship for probably getting into the Big 12 championship for the first time in their school's history. This is a pretty big game for both these teams. Just from the outside looking in, it, it does have the appearance of, you know, Iowa State appears to be, you know, starting to hit their stride, you know, hit their peak. Meanwhile, Texas has had to hit pause on everything uh, for the last couple of weeks. But I think obviously we have no clue. There's no way to predict the future. But I'm of the opinion, and it has happened every year. I think Sam Ellinger has been dealing with something, some type of injury. All right. That hasn't been um, made public. And I'm hoping, maybe that's me hoping instead of actually thinking it, but I'm hoping that um, this extra time ends up being a little bit of a blessing in disguise as far as him and him being able to get healthy so that Texas can use him, Tom Herman can use him, you know, how they've been using him. And you can get into the topic about whether that's correct or not at another time. Maybe Texas, not just Sam Ellinger, but Josh Moore as well, um, being able to get some guys back. The defense has been playing better, so we're not really talking about the defense, but offensively, maybe getting some guys back. Um, Keontae Ingram as well. Isn't that, we haven't, I haven't seen that mentioned or heard that mentioned anywhere. Ingram's not going to be in the game, but two guys that will, Jared Wiley, who wouldn't have played against Kansas, and mm-hmm. Josh Moore is probable to play in that game as well. 
All right, so you're getting you kind of getting your, your your full arsenal back, and we're getting ready for what is you know we can go ahead and call it we can consider it a Big Twelve championship playing game mm-hmm. um, for Texas and Iowa State. So it is, you know, it's, it's it's about to be a heck of a game. Iowa State obviously is not afraid of Texas. Their coach is not afraid of Texas. Then they just beat them last year. A lot of those guys are back. Um, the main time out, time out. They beat Texas because Malcolm Roach jumped off sides and gave them a shot to win the game. Texas. If that doesn't happen, Texas is 4-0 against Iowa State uh, under Tom Herman. Uh, uh, so do we blame Tom Herman and coaching and discipline for that? Or know. Malcolm Ross? You know, Malcolm Ross getting paid right now in the NFL. I think he That's didn't true. get drafted coming out of Texas. But anyways, from so I'm on topic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Iowa State, um, Brock Purdy scares me. Um, I think he's a gamer. I think he's one of those guys that, you know, gets excited about playing Texas. The main receiver, well – Two main receiver, main wide receiver that's gonna get the Rockets. The guy that we talked about um, before the show started, who you really like is uh, Xavier Hutchinson. Yeah, um, the wide receiver that came from uh, from Blinn. and then it'll be the tight end. Even though they use multiple tight ends, the one that's probably gonna end up being a day two pick is uh, number eighty eight, Charlie Kohler. They use those tight ends um, in the run game. They use them in the pass game, a play action, short, quick. They can come. They can they can attack you pretty much every way. Which which was. Um, which can keep you, you know, on your toes a little bit and off balance on defense. The best way to weakness with the offense, I think we would agree, would be the offensive line. Um, the on interior pass, in the passing game. In the passing game. But in the interior of Texas, getting guys like Keandre Coburn back, um, Devondre Sweat, Alfred Collins, it was a, it would be a huge game um, on Saturday, Taquan Graham, for Texas to get some interior pressure going. And there's not a quarterback alive that likes – Pressure coming from the middle of the pocket. Right. Right. Yeah. So if we can flush them, if they can flush them out, then that gives your athletes like Overshone, like Mitchell, like um, Osai an opportunity to get Purdy down in space. And when you, if you watch Iowa State this year, whenever there were turnovers, it was Purdy being off target due to either some type of pressure being in his face. So mm-hmm. I think that's the key. That's the key. Can you get pressure without blitzing from your interior line? Iowa State's offense is very good because of the skill players that they have. Xavier Hutchinson, as you were talking about, I think is probably the second best wide receiver in the Big 12 behind Tylen Wallace. I think he is to the point where if he wasn't a Juco last year, he's getting drafted alongside Tylen Wallace probably in the second, first or second round. The dude is very good. He has great ball skills. He knows how to get open. He has strong hands. He has, goes up for the ball very strong. And what's his name again? Xavier Hutchinson. What number should they be looking for? Number eight. The guy has made some spectacular leafing grabs this year. Again, he doesn't have the body control of Tylen Wallace, but he certainly has stronger hands and ball skills than he does. A little bit 41 catches, 518 yards, 12 and a half yards per catch, and four touchdowns. Doesn't have the numbers that Wallace has, but he is a tick below him in terms of ability and skill. I think he comes back next year and is your best wide receiver in the Big 12. But that isn't the story of this Iowa State offense. What is the story is how efficient and explosive they are, not through the air, but on the ground. And you measure this in advanced statistics with what's called success rate, which is a measure of efficiency by determining whether each play of a given game was successful or not by achieving the number of yards that they need for a certain down. So like on first down, you get 50% of the necessary yards. So on first and 10, you get five yards, 70% of the yardage on second down. So, you know, whatever that is, 70% of five yards. 
and then 100% on the late downs in third and fourth. Iowa State has a success rate of 45.5. That is the 23rd ranked success rate in the nation. The only team in the Big 12 that is better at that is Oklahoma. And every other team is far, far behind that. They are consistent. They are efficient. And especially on third downs, they're converting nearly 50% of their third downs this year. Wow. On top of that, another stat that is used to determine how efficient and explosive a team is is called EPA, expected points added. So it's a measure of success and explosiveness and is basically how many points was this play worth? So, and if there are any of y'all out there that are like, what the heck is he talking about? Hey, you're not alone. You're not alone. Just listen. Let it marinate yeah. a little bit. It'll make sense later. How valuable was this play on average is basically what EPA is. It basically measures efficiency, success, and explosiveness of a team per play. Iowa State is the 15th most explosive and efficient running game in the nation, netting about points. One, two points per run, which is insane. For comparison, Texas has negative 0.1 EPA in the run game. So they are just so much better than Texas in the run game. Now, you know, if you have a game like you had against West Virginia for Texas every single game, then that changes, but you can see it. And even their pass game is is just a little bit behind them netting only 1.1 expected points per play that keeps them the 47th in the nation but still this running game is deadly you know a lot of it has to do with the offensive line being pretty good at run blocking they're not great but they're pretty good Brock Purdy helps out with being able to you know keep the ball and is pretty dangerous with his legs and also in scrambling but the guy who makes this all work is a Brees Hall and I know we said Chuba Hubbard Maybe the best running back Texas will face this year. That was a lie. Brees Hall is the best back in the Big 12 and maybe top three back in the nation. As a sophomore, 6'1", 215, he moves like a scat back. He's sort of John Robinson-esque in terms of this guy shouldn't be able to move this way for the size he is. He is explosive. He has some special agility and speed. He can make you miss. What he has, you don't find very many places. And Iowa State's been pretty good at getting guys like that, like Dave Montgomery. He's better than Dave Montgomery. Hmm. Uh, He's better than Chuba Hubbard was this year. And even their backup, Kanae Nwangu, averages 5.6 yards per attempt and is just a dangerous returner. That run game is deadly. Now, as we talked about in the last show, or I talked about in the last show, so is Texas's run defense. They're 11th in the nation when it comes to run defense. So it's going to be Texas's run D versus this running game. That's what you have up here. Brock Purdy, yeah, sure, he's got decent accuracy. He's got a decent arm. He has a good wide receiver in Xavier Hutchinson. And he's got three tight ends that are 6'6", 215, and can catch. Basically, he's got three three Jared Wileys. Did I say 215? I meant 250. <laughs> yeah. He's got three Jared Wileys. Darius, with all this information, how would you try to defend this Iowa State offense? Where would you go first? So I I know you spent a lot of time talking about Brees Hall 
But it's, it's, if it's one thing, and it's weird, and it's, it's, and it's been this case between multiple coordinators now, but just so far this year, for example, we talked about, obviously we talked about Chuba Hubbard. Um, Letty Brown is, what, third in the country right now in rushing for West Virginia. Saw Letty Brown. This is another situation where I just, regardless of what happens in the game, I don't have a lot of huge concerns about Texas being able to stop the run. And I know this is a different type of Iowa State attack, right? They use multiple tight ends. Most of their success in the passing game gets set up, obviously, like most teams, like any team, comes from the running game, right? Texas has found a way to stop these quote-unquote big-time backs. Mm -hmm. I'm concerned about Purdy. He's the guy that scares me because Purdy's mobile. (laughs) Purdy's Purdy's mobile, and Purdy is capable of, of making or completing passes when he gets outside of the pocket, when things breaks down. I'm concerned what happens for Texas once the initial, you know, first two seconds of the play start. Once everybody's gotten their job, all right, perfect. All right, everybody did their job now. Now what? That, improv- that improvisation period um, is what scares me in this football game. I just I have concerns about Texas being able to stay stuck on the back end when it happens. And I know you talked about Hutchinson, but you mentioned those tight ends. It's the size. It's guys like Kohler. That I'm concerned about um, once things do break down, and will Texas be able to get them to the ground um, right. as well? But I'm, I'm concerned about Iowa State. Not necessarily the big play will. It's about them constantly converting third and three, third yeah. and two, and keeping the defense on the field, being efficient like they right. have been all year, and keeping Texas off the field, and then just let it, you know, happenstance. Let it be one of those off games for Sam Ellinger. Where now we've got less possessions, and oh, by the way, we got two turnovers this game too. That'll doom you in this type of matchup. So I'm with you there. Yeah. If you want to watch a position to determine how Texas is going to do in this game, I think that there are three guys I would watch very closely. Well, for two of them being the same position. You have to watch Chris Adamora and Anthony Cook. Those two are going to have a hell of a responsibility in this game. The spur position in this defense has been largely responsible for the flats and for the contain of the run game. That's going to continue in this game for Chris Adamora and Anthony Cook. They're going to be responsible for not only making sure Brees Hall does not break contain in the middle, doesn't get outside because if Brees Hall gets outside, he has enough explosiveness and enough you know power and agility to make a guy miss or just run over a defensive back. But they're going to have to deal with the tight ends, Charlie Kolar, 6'6", Chase Allen, 6'6", Dylan Schoner, 6'6", those three guys. And then those two, Demari and Overshone, and probably either Caden Stearns or B.J. Foster or Chris Brown. One of those one of those three safeties and Demari and Overshone are going to be responsible for either spying Brock Purdy or taking on one of those tight ends. If Texas can keep Charlie Kolar under control and stop the run, then they're going to win this game. But it's really going to be, I think what Texas is going to do in this game is what they did against Oklahoma State, which is stop the run first. If you contain Brees Hall, if you contain Kene Nwangu, if you contain the running quarterback and Brock Purdy and force them to, hey, if you can beat us in the pass game, go ahead, do it, but we're going to take away your run. I think that they have a chance in this game, but it's it's tough order because this passing game sets up to attack Texas a lot better than what you had against Oklahoma State. Well, yeah, when they when they get in the red zone, you talk about those those matchups, those mismatches physically. K 
can Texas hold Iowa State to a field goal? Mm-hmm. Okay, can they give up three instead of six? If they can do that, say we end up with five red zone situations, that if they can get a field goal two out of those times, two out of those five times, that could be the difference in the game. So it's just it's going to be another one of those games where it comes down to, as every Texas game is, it's going to be a, it's going to be a one possession game, and it's just it's going to be one play here in the second quarter, one play there in the third quarter, one mental mistake here. All the stuff we've talked about throughout this this is now year four of Coach Herman. We talked about how undisciplined this team has been. Of all the games, for all of that stuff to come to a head, this is the one. So mm-hmm. we're gonna see. And for all yeah. the fans, you know, that are hoping for a change, that have been harping about the stuff, this is the game that will we expect um, to expose it. For the those that still believe, you know, this is the game also that'll show that regardless of whatever, Texas is still good enough with what they have to possibly get it done. <laughs> and somebody's going to come out unhappy regardless, yeah. <laughs> regardless of what happens on Saturday, man. It's, it's going to be a losing side somewhere. I think the key to this game is going to be, for the defense, is going to be winning early downs. If they can have Iowa State in third and longs, they can take advantage of an offensive line that's not great at pass protection in a Texas defense that is coming to, into its own when it comes to pass rush. The problem with that is Iowa State's pretty damn effective and pretty damn efficient when it comes to early downs. That's going to be the thing. You have to stop the run. You have to make sure that they, those runs are getting two, maybe three yards and put them into a passing down. You know, Make sure that they're not getting third and three, even third and four, where they can run the ball. They have to be in passing downs on third down. And Iowa State, I'm looking it up. Iowa State is averaging 41 yards of penalty yards a game. I feel like that's uh, that's, that's that's low compared to that's <laughs> what we're low. used to. That's pretty. That's pretty damn good <laughs> with, yeah. with Texas. So again, just a lot of the, the little stuff that we've been talking about. It's, it's got a chance to to come together and uh, mm-hmm. end up with a result that um, could be dissatisfactory. Yeah. Well, you know, Texas Texas sets up well again with the good rush defense a defense that is coming into its own and some very talented linebackers and defensive linemen to tackle this very good running game. So it's going to be an interesting matchup against with this offense and this defense. Now, the part that troubles me is this next part, Iowa State's defense versus Texas's offense. And Texas's offense has really done well against this Iowa State team in the past. It's tricky Uh, I guess I'll go into my diatribe here because as I talked about in the last show, Texas did very well running a gap scheme where they simplified for the offensive line, made it so that your running back can make good reads. And that's why, but John Robinson was able to break it to the outside instead of being forced. Hey, you know, zone inside zone, you run into this hole and make a cut through there. It was really good against West Virginia. Then a deep passes on top of that to attack safeties that were coming up. That's kind of what Oklahoma does, really. So they're kind of copying Oklahoma. But this Iowa State team is built to stop the Oklahomas of the world. The gap scheme, the we have bigger guys, we're going to go and take it to you, and then we're going to hit you deep. The stuff that doesn't work in the bowl games. Exactly, exactly. So it's difficult in this game. John Haycock's three three five has been very effective at keeping teams in difficult situations this year. 16th in the nation 
at keeping teams from being successful on early downs, from getting the necessary yardage that the needed yardage, only allowing teams to get yards that they should about 33% of the time. That means that teams on average have about eight to nine yards to go on third down against Iowa State. That is fourth best in the nation, in the nation. They are very good on early downs, and that lends itself to being pretty pretty decent on third downs. Now, they're not great on third downs, but still top 30 in the nation. They're pretty good. And that 3-3-5, you look at it on paper, and you look at it like on a still image on film, and you're looking at, like, how can a six-man box? You know, they don't even use really that strong safety, which is really a nickelback, as a fourth linebacker. They are a pure pass guy most of the time, or, or underneath. How are they so effective, especially against the run and stopping these teams early on? It's that defensive front six. They are just loaded with talent. You have Jaquan Bailey. The defensive end has the most sacks in the Big 12. And Will McDonald with five is right behind him. Then you have Owazarike on the other side, who has just been pretty dominant on his side of the line. Behind them, you have... Two really good linebackers, including, I know I say this every week, but probably one of the best linebackers in the country in Mike Rose, who I think right now is leading all linebackers in the Big 12, maybe the country, in interceptions. The guy is a plus in pass coverage, he's a plus in pass rush, and he's really good at filling gaps. And then you have on the other side of him, Jake Hummel, who is basically Mike Rose light. They're experienced guys. They're not new to this, right? Yeah. Okay, Bailey. I remember Bailey. Bailey was an all-Big 12 guy a year ago. The whole reason he's back is because he doesn't have the measurables that, you know, most of your defensive ends, you know, that you look for have. Um, But Iowa State is is very disciplined defensively for what they may lack in athleticism. Again, they make up for with guys knowing where to be on the teamwork as a defensive unit. They kind of, you know, you want to work as a glove. You know, in basketball, you talk about in your zone on defense, you talk about moving as five. You know, there's there's five fingers on a hand, right? Everybody's a hand. You come together and make a fist. Okay, that defense does a great job of making a fist and coming together. You can tell um, they spend a lot of time, the coaches doing in film and harping on that stuff in practice. I think Texas and what Texas can do, if they can find ways to get their guys. Okay, Texas started off the season running a lot of mesh concepts. Uh, a lot of concepts that get guys in space. If they can go back to doing those type of things, if they can get their players in space and one-on-one type of matchups against Iowa State, Texas can have success, okay? But um, if they panic, if they go to, you know, trying to run Sam, you know, when in doubt and things like that, then it's, it's going to be a long night. It's going to be a long game. It's going to be it's gonna be uncomfortable. So um, it's just – I think the, the, the onus is on the Texas offensive staff to, to stick whatever the game plan is, stick with it, okay? Don't break away from it. Don't panic. Regardless of what's going on early in the game, get your guys the ball in space. Jake Smith, Brennan Eagles, okay? Just let your guys do what you recruited them to do. But don't overthink it and panic and go to, oh, well, here we go. Let me just run Sam up the middle. Let's just okay, play football. You're trying to play. You're competing for a Big 12 championship on Friday. Which may honestly be going back to what is an uglier version of this Texas offense, which is that zone run game. If it works against Iowa State, that's all you need to do for one week. Beat Iowa State. That's all you care about right now. So if the zone run game works against Iowa State, yeah, the gap scheme might be better for this team, but but against Iowa State, you're game planning for Iowa State. That's not a thing that they are built to stop. You know, that's how they run their offense. That they're a zone scheme run team. They are not built to stop themselves. 
So if you mirror Iowa State, and these two teams are pretty much mirror images of them, of each other on offense, then you can beat Iowa State. And, and Texas can't have the mental mistakes. They can't have the holding penalty to start. They can't have the false start, okay? They can't. <laughs> you're going to be punting the football. Or you're going to be putting Ellinger in situations where it's potential he's going to be trying to force something in for turnovers. So it's just – it's going to have to – again, they're going to have to treat this. this. This is a Big 12 championship game. It is. So – Herb Hand, you're on the clock. Okay, we're all going to be watching. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that, that front six, man, they're really good. The defensive backs are pretty savvy. Mike Yurcich and Tom Herman have their work cut out for them this week. It is a lot. And they've probably been really game planning for Iowa State for the past, what, three weeks? You don't think they were really uh, game planning for Kansas, do you? I, I would hope they were game planning for Kansas a little bit. I mean... Again, if, if Texas were to come out, Will, and, and get to get their butts kicked Friday, I would be very, very surprised, okay, and disappointed because, yeah, pretty much you, you've known. It's been pretty clear for a few weeks now what it was going to come down, what it's probably going to come down to. So, um, mm-hmm. no, it's showtime. It is showtime, baby. And, it um, is very, very much showtime for Tom Herman and this team. Put up or shut up. I agree with you. So, we're going to see. We'll see. But let's go ahead and bring on our guest, an Iowa State fan and the guy who knows it all, the managing editor for Wide Right and Natty Light, Levi Stevenson. Levi, how you doing, man? How's it going up there in Iowa? It's good. Uh, can't, it's pretty hard to be disappointed after uh, taking Kansas State to the woodshed. It was a good time. You, you can't feel too bad after a 45-0 to win against a, no. against a rival in a game that you thought was going to be a little bit more down to the wire. Yeah, feeling feeling pretty invincible right now, I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, well, that leads right to my what I want to ask you because you know this Iowa State team has come a long way from losing the season opener to a Sun Belt team. You know, they now control their own destiny after Oklahoma State got rocked in Bedlam. This game versus Texas is basically a playing game for the Big Twelve Championship. That's what it comes down to now. So. How would you boil down being a Cyclone fan this season into something that Texas fans can understand? And how confident are you in this team and in this program right now? Uh, so the Cyclone football fan experience, uh, always an interesting roller coaster. Um, but this particular season, it's kind of been something else because you had the first loss to Louisiana and you're just like, oh shit, what is, what is this? Then you go out and beat TCU at home, which... At the time, it seemed like a pretty good win. Now it seems kind of, you know, it's a road win. Yeah, so then you pick up the road win, which is kind of nice. Then, obviously, you beat Oklahoma. That's a big deal uh, for Iowa State. I mean, for, for anybody, it's a big deal to beat Oklahoma. But for Iowa State, it's a particularly big deal because that would actually make it two and four, two out of the last four years that Iowa State has beat Oklahoma, which which accounts for 50% of Iowa State's all-time wins against Oklahoma. Wow. Uh, so <laughs> I, think, I think they're four and 64 or something like that. Matt Campbell has two of those four, which is really something. And uh, then Texas Tech, feel pretty good about that. Then you go to Oklahoma State, undefeated in the Big 12. You feel pretty good about that one, just because at that point, Iowa State had you know won two game, three games in a row fairly comfortably. Um, or not, I shouldn't say comfortably, but definitely felt pretty good about two of them for sure. And then the Oklahoma game was just a really good win. And then you go there and you kind of lay an egg. Uh, Oklahoma State's pa- Oklahoma State's pass rush causes a lot of problems. Brock is not sharp at all. Brees does his thing, as he's been doing every single game this season. Um, but he's kind of the only one doing anything. The defense plays a good game. Um, but overall, just kind of a disappointing loss, even though it was only by three. 
come back, Kansas no problem. And you get Baylor. First half, Brock throws three interceptions on like almost on consecutive drives. And it was – it had nothing. I mean, you're just like, okay, so I guess this is this is where it craps out. And then they come back in the second half. They come back and they put up 28 unanswered on the board and haven't you know, played the sec- best second half of their entire season. And then we come back out against Kansas State, which is a game that's almost always close. We were expecting it to be close. Even though Kansas State was missing a lot of people, we expected it to be close because it just always is. It's always a horrible root canal trying to play Kansas State. <laughs> and then we come out and whoop their ass, 45 nothing. So yeah. that's what it was. I mean, it, from start to finish, every single play – Every single drive, I would say, dominated Kansas State. Every single one. It was the most complete team performance I've ever seen from Iowa State football, period. In, in my 28 years of life, I've never seen a better complete game from an Iowa State football team than when we saw yesterday, or from on Saturday, I should say. Brees Hall continues to just do his thing. He got 130-something yards on, on 15 carries. I mean, what, what else? And two touchdowns. I mean, what else do you want from the guy? You got the backup running backs got in there quite a bit. Kane got quite a few touches. Jarrell Brock got touches. Brock Purdy comes in, goes 16 to 20 with three touchdowns, no interceptions. I mean, you watched him play. He had his swagger. I mean, he was the, that confidence and that swagger we saw in his freshman season, part of what makes him so good. Um, you hadn't seen that for the last, I don't know, year. Part of it was because of hurt last year, lots of pressure, kind of a rough start to begin this year. But man, they went out, they executed, they had fun, they were relaxed. Brock Purdy was playing with his swagger. Brees Hall was doing his thing. Xavier Hutchinson had a great game. You know, the defense continues to be lights out. I mean, Mike Rose, I mean, he's leading the conference in interceptions as a linebacker. And if he's not an All-American, it'll be an absolute travesty. Brees Hall is, he's not going to be a first-team All-American because they're going to give it to Najee Harris or Travis Etienne just because of the brand. But Brees Hall is going to be an All-American. Mike Rose should be an All-American. When you've got... All Americans on both sides of the ball. You're in good shape. And when Brock is playing the way he did on Saturday, the way we know he's capable of playing, Iowa State offense is extraordinarily difficult to stop. Well, I want to ask you about Brock Purdy because you said he's been having a little bit trouble this season and kind of coming up as of late. How would you rate Brock Purdy's performance this year? And what has he done well and where is he lacking? Uh, Overall, he's been decent. Uh, he's had some good games. Um, I know, like, we, the, the play which will, which shall never be mentioned again against TCU. I mean, outside of that one awful, awful, awful play, he was actually pretty good that game. Oklahoma, he wasn't perfect, but he was exactly what Iowa State needed to win that game. He made the plays that needed to be made. Um, the second half of Baylor, you know, first half of Baylor, he was awful and came back in the second half and played really well. And then he was out, he was magnificent on Saturday. It hasn't been perfect, but he's he's coming back into the Brock Purdy we know he can be. Uh, it seems like the, the ship has been right. He's having fun playing football again. Maybe it wasn't the the season maybe we initially expected out of Brock, but part of it is, you know, if he would have had a, just a really awesome season the whole year and everything like that, it wouldn't be an Iowa State quarterback. There's got to be some <laughs> unnecessary. There's got to be some unnecessary adversity in there. I think we're all we're all really proud of Brock too because you could tell that for a while he was really frustrated. He was. Um, I don't. I wouldn't say he was losing confidence, but you could tell he was really, really frustrated, and he was putting a lot of pressure on himself. He was do, making, he's trying to make some big plays where they didn't necessarily need to be made, and just trying to, just trying to do the best he can, and it just wasn't working out. Um, but now you saw him on Saturday. He went. He was just slinging that thing, man. He it was, he, his all of his throws were 
dead on accurate. He was composed. He was picking up yards in the run game. He was everything you wanted him to be, and you think that Brock Purdy can and should be. Um, so we're all really proud of him, I know, and we're excited to see him continue to play like that against Texas. I know that this season's been full of a lot of happy surprises for Cyclone fans after that first week, but I want to know which one has been a happier surprise for Cyclone fans. How good and immediately effective Xavier Hutchinson has been or the fact that Brees Hall has taken his game up in another level this year? I don't think Brees Hall stepping it up was a surprise to anybody. I think it was very clear and obvious last season that he's an extraordinarily talented kid, an extraordinarily athletic kid. Um, So it was no shock at all to see that he um, was going to do what he's been doing. I don't think that was a surprise to anybody that watched his high school tape or that watched him last year after he started, after he became the starting running back. Xavier Hutchinson is, it's kind of funny because if you didn't know his name ahead of the season, you'd probably be very pleasantly surprised. Like, well, this kid's pretty good. Not just pretty good. He's one of the top three wide receivers in the big 12. He's very, very good. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But if you watch his junior college tape, you're not you're not surprised at all. I mean, you watch that. I mean, the kid he's six three. I compare. I did, actually did his off. We do an off season scout, scouting report basically on all of the incoming players, um, to obviously JUCOs and freshmen and whatever else, and do a, a, a big scouting report on them. I uh, go through watch tape and I and I did the one on Xavier Hutchinson. I watched that and I immediately saw. I compared him to Justin Blackman. It's a good comparison. He gets open. He makes plays. Man, that's all the kid does. He runs outstanding routes. He's got great hands. He makes plays all over the field. He's dangerous after the catch. I mean, and they just feed him the ball. They feed him and feed him and feed him, and it's great. I love it. And you saw him. And, and on a, he had a couple touchdowns uh, on Saturday, and especially the second one. I mean. Aside from the absolute dime piece from Brock Purdy down in the corner of the end zone, I mean, Xavier Hutchinson made a great catch over top of that mm-hmm. corner. I mean, that was – so, I mean, if you watch Xavier Hutchinson, if you read my scouting report, you would not be surprised <laughs> uh, uh, that Xavier Hutchinson has been as good as he is, as he has been. Um, I actually, I would say that maybe the surprise is how quickly he's caught up to uh, – caught up to power five speed, the speed of the game. I would say maybe that's the surprise is how quickly he's – caught up to speed and really started to be, become a really, really good player. But him getting there to being as effective as he has been, it hasn't really been a surprise to me and to most people that watched that were paying attention to him. Well, you've already gone over what makes Xavier so dangerous, but tell me a little bit more about Brees Hall for Texas fans who maybe oh. have forgotten about him over the past few years, or I guess <laughs> last year, since he's a sophomore this year, what makes him so dangerous? Um, his vision is crazy. Uh, I mean, it's, he's got Dave Montgomery level ball carrier vision. I mean, which maybe to Texas fans doesn't mean a lot, but that's that's quite a that's quite a compliment. Is when you start comparing people to Dave Montgomery for mm-hmm. Cyclone fans. His vision is out is out is off the charts. He's a really strong. I mean, he's like 220 pounds and he's a strong back, but he's got the breakaway speed that Dave Montgomery never had. When he gets mm-hmm. out in the open field, he can run away from people. His stiff arm. If you watch, he did it a couple times as Kansas State defenders. When he, I mean. I think I saw a tweet. I don't remember who it was from. That Brees Hall, when he goes to stiff arm people, it looks like he's holding a taser in his stiff arm hand. Like he just puts it out and, just poosh, and the guy just drops to the ground because his stiff arm is just lights out. Um, but he's not necessarily just a power back. He's a good – he makes really good cuts. Um, he's a patient runner. He makes – you know, stiff arm is you – know, put, put a dude into the ground. We saw it against Oklahoma last year. 
We've seen it a bunch of times this year too. He's pretty elusive too. He can make dudes miss. He can. He loves. He loves to do his spin move. Um, he does it, another thing. He does a really great job of is finishing his runs. Um, he doesn't get tagged like he doesn't get hit and then go backwards. When Brees Hall gets hit, he goes forward for another two yards, whether that's for a two yard gain or that's for a twelve yard gain. Uh, he, he finishes his runs. He's elusive. He's strong. The kid for some reason the kid loves hurdling people. He, he seems like he tries to do it every week. He's a really smart kid. His vision is great, and he's got top-end speed that we haven't seen at Iowa State in a long time. And they, don't, they haven't used him a ton this year in that capacity, but we saw it last year, too. The kid's a really good receiver. He can be a very good receiving back, too. Um, if you watch his high school tape, it was pretty common for his high school to line him up outside, outside as, a, as, a, as an ex-receiver, basically. He runs good routes. He can catch it, too. They haven't used him a lot in that capacity this season because you've got so many tight ends and you got the receiver. You got just the, the way the scheme is working out, they're not using him a ton in the receiving game. But the kid's a very good receiving back, too, when they actually do want to use him that way. Um, right. he, he, he does everything. I mean, I mean, truly, he there is not a, he's a really good blocker, too. Watch his tape. That kid can pass block. He, he will take some dude's soul. It'll be interesting seeing him go up against Texas because, again, I said this earlier in the show, while Iowa State has the 23rd ranked rushing offense in the nation, and they have Brees Hall, who is probably one of the best runners in the nation. Texas boasts the 11th ranked rushing defense in the nation. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a crazy battle between those two, and it's, uh, strength it's going to be interesting. Yeah, sure. definitely strength on strength. Is, is Texas the number one rush defense in the conference? Yes. Okay, and Iowa State's the number one rush offense. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's strength on strength. So it's, it's, it's a really, really interesting matchup on yeah. Friday. Well, which is interesting also because it seems like skill position for Iowa State has been really, really good this year. But the biggest weakness for Iowa State this season has been those big guys up front. How much confidence do you have in Iowa State's offensive line at this point in the season, especially at right tackle and left guard? I would actually disagree with you on that. Okay. I would argue that the offensive line has been better than the skill position players. Really? Um Yes, the offensive line. You go back if you go back and watch their run blocking. They've done a really good job of opening up holes for Brees. Brees is a really good running maybe, back. Maybe I'm I'm too focused on the pass rushing, the pass blocking. Then maybe and 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 that is that is kind of and sometimes it's really good and sometimes it's kind of eh, a little bit herky jerky. Um, generally speaking, I would consider them probably an, an average pass blocking unit. As a run blocking unit, though, you don't you don't have a back average 140 yards a game by not having a good offensive good run blocking offensive line. So as far as I'm concerned, I mean I think they'll they'll, they'll do a good job. Part of what they another thing they do a really good job too is supplementing the offensive line with Dylan Sainer and Charlie Kohler and Chase Allen as as run blockers. Mm-hmm. And actually the receivers are have been very good run blockers. Landon Akers and Xavier Hutchinson, both very, very good run blockers. But the skill positions have actually, I would almost argue, have been a little bit more of a problem. I don't want to jump too far ahead because this is going to be a part of the uh, the what we talk about for Friday. But Tariq Milton has been hurt pretty much the entire season. There's been Xavier Hutchinson and then just kind of people. Landon Akers, Joe Skates here and there, Sean Shaw here and there. Um, but no no real consistent second threat at the receiver spot. Now you've got three tight ends that can catch the ball. Charlie Kohler would be my second threat for, you know, Iowa State. But but it's hard to beat a six six, two two fifty-five pound guy. Well, there's three of them. But none of those three can run anywhere near as fast as Tariq Milton can. <laughs> uh, Tariq Milton is a pretty pretty huge vertical threat. Um, we saw him against – they used him against Texas last year. They used him on the underneath route, and he had a couple of really nice gains against Texas last year. He can take the top off a of defense, and he creates a lot of extra space. But he's been hurt for a lot of the season, so it's pretty much been the Xavier Hutchinson show. 
um, as far as receivers go. It's pretty much, I mean, the receiving game has been tight ends and Xavier Hutchinson for the most part. You might get a catch or two from Sean Shaw, a catch or two from Landon Akers, and maybe a catch every other game from Joe Skates, but that's, that's about it. And part of the problem is that Xavier Hutchinson is the only one that's been able to consistently get open, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, uh, and that is kind of a little bit of a preview for Friday because what Louisiana did so well, they said, screw it, we're playing man. They didn't play zone the whole game. They played man-to-man defense the whole game because they realized that their athletes were just as good as Iowa State's athletes. You know, in a zone concept, Iowa State probably would have been able to pick them apart pretty well because uh, the skill level is just quite a bit higher. But Texas has the athletes, has, has good athletes too. They can play man defense. And the tape is out. If you play man defense, Iowa State's, rece- Iowa State's receivers can struggle to get open. We know that you can scheme around that, hopefully. The tape is already out there. We know that that works. A couple of the teams tried it to a certain degree. T- TCU did it a little bit. Uh, Baylor did it a little bit. Uh, Oklahoma State did it. Kansas State did it just a little bit. Not a lot, but a little bit. And I would assume Texas will try it at some point. I don't know. I don't think they'll like switch to a man defense, but I think they'll. it wouldn't surprise me at all if they stacked the box a little bit to stop Brees Hall and then yeah. let their corners play one-on-one defense out on the outside. That's what I'm assuming is going to happen. I assume Texas is going to do what they do with pretty much every other team and is can't beat us in the run game. And then we're going to let you try to beat us downfield in the passing game. Uh, if you beat us downfield, you beat us. Now, the good thing is that when Brock's playing like he did on Saturday, he absolutely can do that. I mean, he can absolutely hit people downfield. They'll hit the tight ends in space. They'll hit receivers. They started using the tight ends in the seams, which hallelujah, because we've been trying to get them to do that all year. So just running ins and outs and shit like that. Uh, and slants, but now actually hitting him in the seams. When he's on, Brock can do that. They, you know, they use him in the running game quite a bit too. So there's there's a lot of variability in the running game too. It's not just inside zone, inside zone, inside zone like you see from a lot of teams. Um, there's there's quite a bit of variation. Plus, there's a lot of extra blockers. Um, you know, Dylan Sainer's six seven two seventy, and he's a very good run blocker. Um, and the nice thing too is they use the RPO game to help set that up because if you know kansas state tried selling out to stop the run and for the first drive or so they were they were successful Brees hall only had like 10 yards on the first drive i think or something like that um then after that they started uh running some read option letting uh and having brock keep it uh running down the field and then it kind of opened some stuff up they ran a lot of they ran some rpos um like like they do all the time i mean they run they run RPOs fairly consistently, um, using that to kind of counter any sort of sellout on the run too. So, you know, if Brock's on, the scheme is there to to beat even a good run, a good rushing defense. Maybe not on the ground. I don't know if Brees will hit his hundred yards again, um, but you know, there's a, there's a scheme there to counter what Texas will probably try to do. Um, and I wouldn't I wouldn't blame him at all for trying to run man against Iowa State because it worked for Louisiana, and I guarantee you Texas has better defenders than Louisiana. So let's go to the other side of the ball here and talk about what John Haycock has done because he has kind of been the guy everybody's trying to pull away from Iowa State, but he's stuck around for another year. And this year he's had quite a team, a lot of talent on that team. How has he been deploying his 3-3-5 defense this season with all the talent that he has on all levels? Well, uh, you know, part of the, what makes the three three five work or the three two six, however, whatever kind of manifests itself as, it starts on the defensive line. In the first couple of years, really good defensive line, and you had like Ray Lima was playing really well, and you had Jaquan doing his thing. A couple of the names that I'm blanking on right now. But uh, then we saw last year where the defense wasn't quite as effective all the time, and part of that was because the defensive line wasn't really doing anything. They were they were kind of there stopping some run gaps, but other than that, they weren't really. 
They weren't getting to the quarterback. They weren't putting pressure on the quarterback or anything like that. Well, that has changed pretty dramatically this year. Jaquan Bailey and Will McDonald are both in the top five in the conference in sacks individually. Will McDonald is leading the conference in sacks, and I think Jaquan is tied for second. Having that kind of change, and, and, and Anywazarike has a few sacks this year from the defensive tackle spot. Um, so they are, they're now getting pressure with three. Um, which is what they did a couple years ago. They're they're doing it a lot better even this year. That that defensive line has played outstanding this year. Jaquan Bailey has been really really good. Uh, Will McDonald's been the best pass rusher in the conference, and he's kind of quiet. But you don't really expect him because he's only 235 pounds. He's not big, but that dude is quick as a cat. People struggle to block Will McDonald. Um, he's causing a lot of problems, and I would expect that to be a factor on Friday too. Is getting to Sam Allinger. Behind him, you've got linebacker. You got you got a really good linebacker guard, Jake Hummel, Ryan Vance, and Mike Rose. Which we talked about Mike Rose earlier, who absolutely should be an All American. He should be a Buckus Award finalist. I, I mean, he deserves every accolade that a linebacker can get. He deserves to be in the running for those. Yeah, he's he's good at filling the gaps. He's good at pass rush. He's good at pass coverage. He pretty much has everything under his belt. Yeah, his in his sideline to sideline speed is absurd. I mean, he he's a he's a lights out rat open field tackle. I mean, the guy does every single thing you could possibly want. And then Hummel is basically Mike Rose light. <laughs> I say Hummel, Hummel is just like Hummel is a, is a clone of Mike Rose basically. And Orion Vance is a really good middle linebacker. He's more of a he's more of a run stopper than a pass coverage guy, but he still does a good job in pass coverage. Um, they do those three do an outstanding job filling run gaps and stuff like that. Um, then behind him we've got a secondary that's been really good this year. Greg Eisworth is Greg Eisworth, um, you know one of the better one of the better safeties in the conference. Lawrence White, who's been really consistent for his entire career. He's been really good this season. And Asheem Young is a, is a guy, he's a freshman, he's a redshirt freshman this year, but you will hear his name on, on Friday, 100%. And it's probably going to be after a very loud pop. That dude hits people. I've, I have not seen, especially in, in an era now where people don't really hit really hard anymore because of the rules, because of the targeting rules and things like that, and just the emphasis on wrap-up wrap up tackling. Asheem Young did not get that memo. He on the regular, you said you can see it against uh, Oklahoma. He I, in particular, I think he had another or a couple of really big ones against um, Texas Tech too. Um, that dude hits people. He's a really good. He made the game-winning interception against uh, Oklahoma in the end zone, and he comes up and just he's a really good run support safety. If you remember, I don't know if Texas fans may or may not remember him, but we had a safety named Kamari Cotmoya who played uh, quite yep. a, quite a long. He played for four years here. Really good run support guy. Not good in deep coverage. Shim Young is probably a little bit better in run support, and he's actually a good deep coverage guy. In my opinion, within the next two years, I mean, you're going to consider like TCU's Ardarius Washington and Ashim Young as like the clear-cut two best safeties in the conference, and then it'll be a, then it'll be kind of a second tier below them. I think Ashim Young is really, really, really good, and he's re- he's young, but he's Agreed. really, really good. Agree with that. Um, and then there's Tavon Tavon Kyle and Anthony Johnson, who have just been killing it in coverage. They've been very good. We were kind of expecting Anthony Johnson to make the jump a little bit earlier in his career, so we were a little bit disappointed to see him last season not make that jump. Uh, he was pretty inconsistent, but this season he's been really good. The, when they do throw at him, usually you, he makes a really good play. Tavon Kyle is actually a converted receiver, but he's been really good. One thing he does really well, too, is covering up the underneath, route, underneath routes where if they run just a quick hitch or something like that, he does a really good job of closing out. You watch the guy, too. He's, he... Um, we'll go out. Sometimes he'll pick it off, and but sometimes he'll just do a really good job of just jumping that route, essentially turning a deflection effort into a quick wrap-up tackle in the open field, and you know stopping it for two or three yards and not letting run after the catch happen. 
early in the season, the deep safe, the safeties were a little bit vulnerable deep, um, especially when uh, we had some guys for Arnold Azuna was playing back out there. Arnold Azuna has actually been, he's been kind of up and down some games. He had some really good games and some not great games. Um, he's not the starter at this point because, yeah, it was a Shane Young. He missed a half for a targeting penalty is what it was. They haven't gotten beat deep in over a month. This, the defense is just rock solid. They're they're a top tier open field tackling team. I mean, people they just people like even if someone breaks the first tackle, there's always two or three Cyclones uh, closing out on a, on a ball carrier right then and there. I mean, it's it's pretty rare to see a receiver like get a quick it's quick slant and then turn it into twelve. So going away against Texas, who do you think are the most important guys for the Cyclones to have a good game? For I would say on defense. I think it's going to come down to – I'm going to kind of cheat and say the pass rushers, Will McDonald and Jaquan Bailey. If they can get to Sam Ellinger and keep forcing him around to keep running around. Now, Sam Ellinger is very good at, uh, at creating um, outside the pocket and all that stuff. He's still very good. But generally speaking, quarterbacks prefer to not be scrambling around for their life all day. Generally. Yeah. Generally speaking. Uh, so, you know, the pass rushers – um, will be huge, and obviously they use them, you'd like to use them in the run game, so the linebackers will be there too. Um, but Texas also seems to like to throw deep a little bit this season. Um, they like to push the ball downfield, so guys like I, 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 if Young, I think Ashim Young could have a good game um, if he's sitting back there. Uh, hopefully, pick off a deep pass or two, comes up, maybe forces a fumble in the run game, something like that. Um, I think he can have a really big impact on the on the game. And on the other side of here. Where and how would you attack this defense if you were looking to exploit any of their weaknesses? If you are, let's say you're Mike Yurcich for Texas, and you're looking to game plan for this Iowa State defense, where are you going? You're probably looking, if you watch the end of the first half against Iowa State last year, on the Iowa State-Texas game last year, Texas converted three pass plays on deep out routes, um, like 25 yards downfield, because that is where the soft spot is in the Iowa State zone. You can either run eight-yard hitch routes and just stop right in front of the linebackers and turn around and just quick try to pick up six, seven yards. I mean, eventually, obviously, the linebackers will start creeping up, and then that pass becomes significantly more dangerous, as Will Howard found out last Saturday when Mike Rose stepped up and picked one off. You can see so you can try nickel and dime six, you know, five, six yards at a time through, you know, through short routes. Otherwise, hitting those those spots, of tech, the soft spots that Texas actually found last year, um, about 20 yards downfield along the sidelines. That's usually under it's it's over top of the corners and underneath the safety. Um, you can you can attack those spots depending on where the safeties are, the middle of the field. Like if you're attacking a cover two, like on a post or a seam route, um, stuff like that, further down the field. Basically, Texas will, will need to try to push it down the field. That's where you're gonna have. I don't want to say the most consistent success because deep balls are just not consistent success, but that's probably where the set, where the soft spots are, right in the center of the field, right in the center of the defense, and right along the sidelines. And probably 15 to 20 yards downfield is probably where you're, where you're going to want to try to hit it. And if Texas tries to go gap scheme like they did against West Virginia, switching from zone to gap, meaning more man-on-man, right. do you think Texas has the athletes and the bodies to beat Iowa State when it comes to you know pro-style my guy beats your guy running, you know, attacking downhill, or do you think Iowa state can counter that? I mean, theoretically, I mean, I mean, in in the end, perfect offense always beats perfect defense. So, I mean, if Texas does their job, even a a perfect Iowa state defense can't technically stop it because Texas has the ball. I mean, that's how football works. Um, (laughs) But 
the way the way Iowa State's tackling scheme works, where it's really heavy, or where it's really really, it's a, it's not dependent, but it's very heavy on gang tackling, where you have there's lots of bodies around the ball carrier every time. The, how you kind of go after? I'm not gonna say it's not it's not irrelevant, but it's it's it doesn't change the outcome of the overall scheme as much as guys executing on an individual basis. So like whether you switch, whether you whether you run gap or you run or you run zone. Because I mean, Iowa State sees both of them on a fairly regular basis. Iowa, Iowa is pretty famous for running lots of zone blocking schemes, um, whereas Oklahoma likes to run more gap blocking schemes. I mean, it just depends on uh, depends on who you're playing. But Iowa State sees them both pretty regularly, um, so it's not something they wouldn't be prepared for necessarily. Um, but it's usually executing on an individual level where it's Sam Ellinger making plays outside the pocket, finding receivers downfield. It's it's wide receivers hauling in tough hauling in tough catches. Um, it's the running backs breaking tackles and things like that. Really, uh, going above and beyond on an individual basis is how you beat Iowa State, basically. So, last question for you: What's your prediction for this game? How do you think it ends? Who wins? And how does each team perform? So, there's there's two there's two sides of that to that extra time to prepare coin is that they've will have not played a football game for 20 days. Um, that's a, right. that's that's a long time to not play football. Um, so that, it's about the time between the end of the season and a uh, bowl game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So that's a long time to not play. Um, And in the meantime, when Texas has not been playing football, Iowa State has played the best six quarters that Iowa State football has probably ever played in the history of the program. They are, they are in in a, over a short span, they are red hot. I mean that the, the program is peaking right now and you have a Texas team that hasn't played for 20 days. That's not to say that that will be like the end all be all, but there's there's a there's a team that is on a serious roll and team that is potentially a, a bit rusty. Um, beyond that, Texas has always presented an interesting matchup uh, for Iowa State because they're v- extremely similar teams, extremely similar from a schematic standpoint, from a personnel standpoint. They're very very similar teams. Um, Iowa State is built to beat teams like Oklahoma. Um, I mean, just like I, I've made this comparison before, but just like how the Cleveland Cavaliers were built to beat the Warriors back when LeBron was there, like that team was specifically built to beat the Warriors, not necessarily beat everybody in the East, but beat the Warriors because they knew that they could kind of just chunk it out till they get to the finals and then they could use their their scheme to beat the Warriors. That's the way kind of Iowa State is kind of built where they're going to use it and try to kind of gut out good wins against the big against the rest of the Big 12. When it comes to Oklahoma, we are built to beat teams like that. Texas is different. Um, it's you know, a lot more power, more of a power game. Uh, Sam Ellinger obviously is a bear to bring down. Um, a good passer still. It, it's funny too because yeah, Sam Ellinger and Brock Purdy are not terribly different quarterbacks either. Um, nope. they're very very similar. Pa- Sam Ellinger is maybe more of a power mm-hmm. runner. Brock's more of a finesse type runner. But I mean, other than that, they're virtually identical. Yep. So I mean, you got you got that. The defenses run similar schematically. They're both similarly very good at their jobs really similar team so then the talent gap starts to eke out and starts to manifest itself a little bit more and as far as raw talent goes texas is probably ahead of iowa state just purely because of how they can recruit and iowa state has to recruit for iowa state so there's some there's some inherent talent gaps there um i don't i think the talent gap between texas from you know of old texas teams and old iowa state teams is dramatically smaller i think the, the, the talent gap is quite a bit uh, quite a bit smaller than it usually is, but there's still a, little, a bit of a talent gap there. So you need to rely on execution and discipline and things like that to overcome that talent gap. Score? Yeah. Well, what's the what's the what's the spread? 
Texas is opening as a two-point favorite. That's probably about where I would have put it, where on a neutral field, it's basically a toss-up. But that home field advantage is not, I'm assuming a Texas is probably only going to have like, what, 15,000, 20,000 fans there or something like that. Or, yeah. or if there, if there yeah. are there, there will be fans though there, right? Probably. Greg Abbott's not going to do anything about anything that's going on. Sure. So probably. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so the, the, the home field advantage is maybe there a little bit, but it's not what it typically is. It's not a neutral field, but it's closer to a neutral field. The two-point spread feels about right. Uh, I think it's, I mean, it's a close game. The two evenly matched. Obviously, last game, last year's game came down to a field goal, last-second field goal. I think the difference is is that Iowa State's running game, for one, is dramatically more productive than it was last year. And I think you've got Brock Purdy playing well at the right time. I do wonder if the specter of Tom Herman's potential loss of employment in the near future could hang over him a little bit like i i don't i don't i'm not sure if i'd say he's coaching for his job but maybe maybe he is is he's 100 percent coaching for his job if he loses this game his job's gone okay there you go so he's coaching for his job and he knows that i think that's potentially a factor i could you could see you could see where maybe he gets a little bit antsy with the play calling something like that and then texas tries to get too aggressive too early um, which is not a good idea against iowa state um you kind of get you want to kind of work your way into it, generally speaking, against us. Um, now, Texas, Oklahoma kind of tried to hit big early, and they did hit big for one big pass early in the game, and then they kind of got too aggressive. But we saw it against West Virginia in 2018, where they just tried to end the game early and just get long pass, long pass, long pass, long pass, and it didn't do, didn't do shit. And they got their ass whooped that game. I'm not saying that it's going to happen this game, but it's something. Um, I would say it's played really well, the best football that they've – ever played as a program the last six quarters of football um they're coming in feeling really good with statistically the best running back in college football quarterback that when he's playing well is maybe the best quarterback in the conference and a defense that right now is playing lights out i don't like playing at texas i don't like it i I didn't like it two years ago when a bit of the conference title game was essentially on the line uh when iowa state went to austin and laid an egg um but this time around the team feels more confident. The team feels more solid. The defense feels solid. Um, the running game is solid. And when you have a solid running game, you can that can fix a lot of problems. Uh, opens up the pass game. Opens up everything. everything. It opens up everything. Yeah. And when you've got a guy like Brees Hall that can do what he does, um, it's extremely valuable. So I think – I don't know. Iowa State always seems to fall apart in these in these situations where they have a chance to do something they've never done before. Um which is make a Big 12 title game. This is a moment for Iowa State to take the next step forward in becoming a consistently very good program, um, making a conference title game. That even if they play Oklahoma, Oklahoma's red hot right now. Um, don't like anybody wants. Oh, yeah. Nobody wants to play Oklahoma right now. But nope. You know who's beaten Oklahoma this year already? Iowa State. And you know who's built? Who's built to beat Oklahoma? Iowa State. I'm not saying that they would be favorites, but I'm saying I would. You make it there, they got a shot. And a, a Big 12 title for Iowa State would just be I, – I wouldn't even know how to process that right now. I know it sounds like really like little brothery because we just we, – we just haven't – we've never won a Big 12 title. We had the last last time we won a Big 12 title, Amelia Earhart was still alive. The Titanic sunk the same year – the same year that Iowa State won their last conference title. Last one a conference championship? Yep. Yeah. 1912. It's – I mean – Wow, we are we are literally literally yeah. in Chicago Cubs territory. One hundred and eight years. This is a monumental moment for Iowa State. 
if they win on Friday and they get their spot in the Big 12 title game, they have a chance to win a conference title. And Texas fans, Oklahoma fans, Oklahoma State fans never going to understand what that means to a school like Iowa State, to a fan base like Iowa State that has endured what we have endured for a hundred and however many years. They've had they've had chances in the past to to make it to the title game back in 2005 and 2006 when they had a chance they they controlled their own destiny to win the Big 12 North and get to the title game and then they shit the bed and they missed field goals wide right in consecutive years which is da 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 no surprise where half of our name comes from. So I'm guessing you're saying Iowa State wins this game. I'm gonna say they win this game, man. I believe I believe in this team. I believe in Brock Purdy. I believe in Matt Campbell. I think they're peaking at the right time. I think they're catching Texas at a bad time when their coach is coaching for his job and they haven't played for three weeks. I'm going to go 34-21 Iowa State. Whoa, a big win. Big win. Okay. Well, there you guys have it. That's been Levi Stevenson. Levi, Levi, the managing editor of Wide Right and Natty Light, the SB Nation Iowa State blog. Levi, where else can we find you, man? So during the game, if Texas fans want to uh, hear my tweets during, see my tweets during the game, it is at wide right ads are at wide RT Natty LT. I run I run the wide right Twitter account during the games, um, and then uh, my personal account, which I tweet maybe a little bit about Iowa State, but it's mostly about video games, D and D, just random things that I feel like doing. Um, it's at Levi R Stev, so L E V I R S T E V. Um, and actually recently just launched a Dungeons Dragons podcast. Um, we, the first episode just came out. It's uh, called With Rolls. Welcome to the club. Yeah, it's called Welcome to the With Rolls and No Luck. It's myself, Mike Allen from Cowboys Ride for Free, Andy Mitz from the Kansas blog, from Rock Shock Talk, and then a couple other guys. One's from Georgia Tech and one is from Wake Forest. Um, it's a good time. The Twitter account is at No Luck Pod, and then it's just called With Rolls and No Luck on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that good stuff. So, Well, good stuff. Thanks for coming on, Levi. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Levi for joining us. Guy knows his stuff. But I think that's going to end it off for us. That has been 4th and 5, your Longhorn Nation podcast. I've been your host, Will Bazer. You guys can find me on Twitter at W-I-L-L-B-A-I-Z-E-R. My man, DT, where can we find you? Hey, y'all can find me on Twitter as well. Um Capital D, capital T, E R R E L L zero five. Holla at me. Um, give me a shout. Shoot me a message. I'd love to talk to you, interact with you. For sure, for sure. You guys can find our work on TexasUpToFootballBrainiacs.com, which, you know, go ahead, sign up. A lot of good content there. And you can find our other podcasts right here on the Hornscast channel on any podcasting network out there. On that note, thank you all for listening. We'll see you all next week. Hook them. Hook them.